The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. The highlight of the calendar, in my opinion, takes place tonight. It took place the uh, first Sunday in June when I was, I was not present but because uh, of health issues. But uh, now be there and excited to do it. We're baptizing 32 folks tonight. So to God be the glory, great things he's done. Amen. 32 folks being baptized. I'm going to do this. If you've never been to a TBC baptism, you've got my permission to get up and leave right now and come back tonight. If you've got to make a choice between uh, the sermon and baptism, you'll hear much better sermons tonight as uh, everybody gives a testimony. From the youngest to the oldest being baptized, we require testimony at the creek. We do it the old-fashioned way. We take them out there and dunk them, and we hold them under to the glory of God until they <laughs> gasp for breath. And no, we don't really do it that way. But it's a great opportunity. There are maps on the foyer tables. Uh, pick one up. Come and join us. You're welcome. To make sure you bring lawn chairs, blankets. Uh, there's no seating otherwise. And then you're welcome to stay and picnic after, or you can exit following that. Reminds me of my favorite all-time baptism story. A mom was looking out the window and saw her six-year-old son, Johnny, playing church with their five new kittens. He had each one of them in a box. He had his Bible out, and he was preaching to them, pointing fingers in the face of each of those kittens. She went to do her work, and uh, she came back and looked out the kitchen window and heard screaming, kittens screaming out there, meowing and scratching. And she went to the window, and there was Johnny taking one kitten at a time, baptizing him in a bucket. And uh, she screamed out the window, Johnny, stop it. You'll drown those kittens. And with great conviction, he looked at his mom and said, they should have thought of that before they joined my church. (laughs) Not sure about his theology, but uh, anyway. This summer, we've been doing a series we entitled Heroes. This is our last in that study. We'll be studying the Gospel of Mark together from now on, so or starting in two weeks, actually. So if you'd like to read ahead, uh, Mark is where we'll be for uh, several months. And we've seen there are many heroes in the Scriptures. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, if you hear Hebrews 11, in your mind, you just think God's hall of what? Faith, God's Hall of Faith. Canton has the Football Hall of Fame, Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, Oklahoma City, the Rodeo Hall of Fame, Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Baton Rouge, the LSU Hall of Fame. So we've got Hall of Fames everywhere. God's Hall of Fame is Hebrews 11. There are a lot of heroes there. But uh, the real hero of the scriptures is Jesus. Amen? He's the hero. And from Genesis to Revelation, we read about the creation of man, the fall of man, the redemption of man, and ultimately consummation of man. And we see throughout the the revelation given to us, Genesis through Revelation, at all points to the hero, Jesus. So let's continue our study by looking at Daniel chapter 7. I'll read it from the NIV. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. If those words sound familiar, it's because they came right out of the first song we sang, the Ancient of Days. Talked about his dominion, his kingdom will not pass away. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Son of Man. That's the topic we're going to look at today when we look at a message that I've entitled, The Returning king, a returning ruler. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this look at Jesus we've had this summer, the true hero. And Father, as we look at him as our returning ruler, as we look at the fulfillment of this prophecy of Daniel, pray that you'd give us not only insight as to what the word says, but give us hearts that are obedient to follow that word. 
We ask it in his name. Amen. Have any of you ever met a king? I've never met a king in my life. I've met a number of three-year-olds who think they're kings. I've met a number of six-year-olds who are kings of their domain. But I've never met a real king, so to speak. But the scriptures talk about a king from beginning to end. When John the Baptist came upon the scene, we know him as the forerunner. And when John the Baptist began to preach his message in the wilderness, Matthew tells us this is what the message that he preached. He was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, if John is preaching that a kingdom has come, the one thing a kingdom requires and necessitates is a king. And so what John is saying as he begins to preach that the king, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying the king is here, submit to him and accept him. But the problem was those that he was preaching to did not. Then Matthew continues to tell us that Jesus came preaching. And from that time on, it says, the time meaning after his temptation, after his baptism and temptation, it says Jesus came to preach, and he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so Jesus is saying, there's a kingdom, I am the king, ultimately is what he says, and you have the opportunity to follow after me, but they didn't. Instead of following after the king, they rejected the king. Instead of submitting the king, they rejected him. Jesus himself has to answer questions about whether or not he was a king during his trials. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You said so. And then he stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, You then are a king. And Jesus said, You say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and come to the world is testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus, over and over, if you read the gospel, says, I am the king. But the problem, if you read the gospels carefully, is those he was speaking to rejected him as king. In fact, on Thursday morning Bible study that I teach, we've got about 80 or 90 men in there. Guys, you're welcome to join us. We'll be starting study of Moses the weekend after Thursday after Labor Day. Uh, we'll feed you a few kolaches, a kolache, not a few kolaches, and, uh, and some coffee. And we're going to look at that. But we've been studying Matthew for about a year now. And I've given my guys a very simplistic outline of the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is about Jesus as the rightful king, the rejected king, the returning king. That's the gospel of Matthew in a nutshell. He's the rightful king, the rejected king, the returning king. When we look at this concept of Jesus preaching, John the Baptist preaching as the herald, the proclaimer, the one who's, who's the forerunner, what we see is he proclaimed Christ to be king. Christ said, I am a king, but the people of that time rejected him as king. So the question is, before I get to that passage, the question that we're going to look at today is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I think what Daniel teaches, and here's a simple outline of what we're going to look at today. I think Daniel teaches that this rejected king will be a returning king who returns to rule. The rejected king becomes a returning king who returns to rule. Now, some of you are excited because we're going to look at the book of Daniel. We're also going to go to Revelation and look at several passages from Revelation. You're thinking, oh, goody, goody, we're going to look at end times. And he's going to tell us when it's going to happen. Bam, wrong. I mean, you already know my answer, don't you? I mean, I, I, we, we've done this before. We did a doctrinal study called Shipwreck last summer. And in that particular stu uh, study, I preached a whole message on, we called it the dating game. That was the name of it. And, and what I said is, you know, I've been asked literally hundreds and hundreds of times, Gary, are we in the end times? And my answer is what? Maybe. 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 Every time there's a hiccup in the Middle East, and every time there's another headline about Egypt, which is every day, 
Every time there's another headline about Syria, about Iran, about Iraq, about Israel, and, and it's good to look at, and the reality of it is, I'm asked the question, are we in end times? And my answer is, maybe. Maybe. Looks like, smells like, tastes like, could be, but I don't know. From the time of Christ, the early disciples until today have expected, debated, and looked for his return. Maybe. They thought it was. I'm going to tell you, if you read the theologians around the time of Hitler, they thought those were certainly end times. Some of you got real involved in the Y2K scare. You're afraid to raise your hands and admit it, but you did. Okay? Everything's going to be, we're going to be done. Some of you took my advice last year. The end of the Mayan calendar was December 21st, 2012, and I said the world's going to end. Get out your visa card. Go to Hawaii or Italy, your favorite place. Trump it up, because if the world's going to end, we might as well enjoy it before it stops. A couple of you did that and blamed. No, you didn't. I hope not. (laughs) Can we know? We can't know. The scriptures say this. Jesus himself says of that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels, not the son, but the father alone. So guys that write books and write articles, uh, when they tell you this is the date, run from them. Don't listen. If the angels don't know and Jesus doesn't know, they don't know. Okay? And Jesus himself tells the disciples, it's not for you to know the times or season epochs which the father is fixed by his own authority. But there are certain things we can know. With, there are things we can know with certainty. There are things we can know with certainty. And what we can know is this. Christ is the returning Son of Man. We can know this. He's coming back. We can know that. I can't give you a date. I can't give you time. I can't tell you we're in end times. But I can tell you this. One day, he's coming back. Amen? Amen. One day he returns. One day that's going to happen. The scriptures will be fulfilled just as he came the first time and it was prophesied of. Likewise, he's coming back one day. Now, in the scope of things and scheme of things, there are a lot of different debates and opinions about that. That's not what I'm interested in this morning. Here's what my advice to you regarding that. Focus on the king, not the calendar. Focus on the king, not the calendar. It's fun to study prophetic things, but the reality of it is we need to focus on the king and not the calendar. So my thesis this morning is the rejected king will become the returning king who will return to rule. Christ is the returning son of man. Now it's quite interesting, Daniel chapter 7, if you've read and studied prophetic scripture and read Daniel 7, it's really an interesting chapter. It begins in verse 1. Well, every chapter begins in verse 1, doesn't it? You know, sometimes the things you say up here, you think, what am I? Ah, wish I could take that right back. Anyway, every chapter begins with verse 1. In Daniel 7, 1, it says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind, and he lay on his bed, and this is the dream he related. And it was a wild dream. You ever have a dream at night, and you think, man, oh, man. You wake up, and you think, wow, that, that was crazy. That's Daniel. But it's given by God. That's the difference between his dreams and our dreams. And look at this dream, beginning in verse 4. He says, I I saw, or verse 3, four great beasts were coming up from the sea. They were different from one another. The first was like a lion that had wings of an eagle in verse uh, verse 5. The second one resembled a bear, and it raised up on one side. Three ribs were in between its teeth. And in verse 6, he says, I kept looking, and behold, I don't know if I kept looking, actually, if I was dreaming all this stuff. He says, I kept looking, and there there was a leopard, and it had had on its back, had the wings of a bird, and it had four heads, and dominion was given it. And I kept looking, and in verse 
7, the fourth beast was dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong. It, it had Lord's teeth and devoured and crushed and trampled the remainder of the others. And then he goes on into all that he saw that day. And Daniel's conclusion in chapter 7, verse 15 is this. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions of my mind kept alarming me. You bet they did. I mean, he's having this vision and it's like, wow, what is this? I mean, what's happening here? And then you go to the end of that section in Daniel 7:28, and he says, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face be turned pale. I, I became faint and I kept this matter to myself. Daniel's being, being given a vision by God, and as he's given that vision, it's like when you have a dream, and you ever dream and you wake up in a cold sweat, and you're thinking, what was that? Was that real, or was it not, or, or, or you wake up ready for action? About three weeks ago, my folks live with us, and we call my mom, the grandkids call them mommy, and uh, I, I'm sound asleep, and all of a sudden I hear, it's mommy, it's mommy, you've got to help mommy. And it was it was Bev screaming, and so I, I grabbed my hearing aids, throw them in. It had to be loud. If I heard that, throw my glasses on. I get ready to run out of our bedroom to their room, and I turn around, and Bev sound asleep. And, and I realize I, I rarely remember dreams or anything like that. And I realize, wow, that was a nightmare. And Daniel saying, I had this dream and I had these visions. What, what I, I, Bev wasn't screaming, she was sleeping. But, but Daniel says, I had these things and they were given to me by God. And they had to do with the prophetic future. And if you study Daniel 7, you can understand what all that's about. But tucked in the middle of all this are two verses that are messianic. Two verses that refer to the coming Messiah. Two verses that talk about the, the one who he calls the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, son of man, clouds of heaven. Remember that terminology. Remember that terminology, son of man, clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and were led into his presence. It's interesting because you fast forward to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask a question. When will these things happen and what will happen? Talking about end times. When and what? When and what? It's interesting, in the midst of that discord, it's called the Olivet Discourse because Christ is teaching from the Mount of Olives, and so it's the Olivet Discourse. In the midst of that, he's talking about future events, and Jesus uses these words. Then will appear the sign of who? Read it with me. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see who? The Son of Man coming where? On the clouds of heaven. Where does that come from? I mean, what he's doing there is referring to himself. This is Jesus speaking, and he's saying, I am the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I am the one that Daniel refers to. Every Jewish person in that audience would have known this reference goes back to Daniel chapter 7 when he refers to himself as the one who would come as the Messiah, the one who would rule. And it's quite interesting. You fast forward to the book of Revelation. John is given a revelation by God. And in that revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Once again, we read how he's coming. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples will mourn because of him. And then in Revelation 14, 14, he says, I looked and therefore, behold, was a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like whom? Son of man. 
You know, sometimes we read the scriptures. I've been reading through the Bible in a year again, and we forget to weave together the various passages that have reference to one another. Here it's very clear. The passage passage from Daniel 7.13 is prophetic looking ahead to the coming Messiah, the one who would be the Son of Man. And it says, Jesus says, I am the one who you you speak of. I am the one that Daniel refers to. I am the Son of Man who comes on the cloud. And then John in Revelation, given this revelation by God, says, indeed, he is the Messiah. Indeed, he was the rejected king. He's coming back as the returning king. And so when we look at this, we say, wow. The context of his return, affirmed by Christ himself, then John, the writer of Revelation, not John the Baptist, but John, the beloved disciple, we see the affirmation of who he is. Let me ask you a question. When you hear these words, I'll be back. When you hear Jesus saying those words, I'm coming back, what do you think? I mean, how do you feel about that? See, for some of us, it's a warning. For some of us, it's comforting. For some, it's a warning. We hear those words and we think, he's coming back. <laughs> it's like if I had acted up during the day and my mom says, your dad's coming home soon. You remember those days? <laughs> remember those days? Your dad's coming home. Then, then there were other times when we knew dad was stopping at the grocery store and he might be picking up a little ice cream and mom would say, dad's coming back. That brought great comfort to my heart and my stomach on those days. <laughs> See, when you hear the words of Christ, I'm coming back, how do you respond? I'm returning. One of my favorite passages on the return of Christ is tucked away in the little book of 1 John. And it says, little children abide in him so that when he appears, you will not shrink away in shame at his coming. Do you hear what John's saying? He's he's saying, abide in him, stay prepared. So if he came back today, if 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 the coming of Christ were today, you wouldn't back away in shame. Got to see what's behind me. You wouldn't back away in shame at his coming. You wouldn't be embarrassed because the Savior showed up. But you would be prepared to meet him face to face. You know, that depends on your spiritual condition, doesn't it? If you receive this as a warning or words of comfort, it really depends upon your spiritual condition right now. And it's my prayer that you'll stay ready. It's my prayer that you'll abide in him. The word abide means to remain in, means to be connected to. Jesus uses it in John 15 in the vine and the vine dresser passage. And he says, you need to be connected to, you need to remain in, you need to be abiding in the Savior. Because when he comes, if you are, it'll be a time of great comfort and a time of celebration. But if you're not, like when my dad came home with a belt, you're going to shrink away in shame or in fear at his coming. He's returning as the Son of Man. Be prepared. Be prepared. Ran across a story I hadn't used since 1996. Some of you weren't even born before 1996. The last time I used this story, when, when you go to seminary, they tell you, you know, sometimes you're up here and you forget a point. So, so what do you do? I mean, if you forget something, so in seminary, in the homiletics, preaching classes, what they say is, well, you, you repeat the point, you bang on the pulpit a little louder so you can get your thoughts together, 
and uh, then hopefully it comes back and you, you can move on. So you speak a little loudly, you repeat the point, and uh, you bang in the pulpit. So there was a young preacher who was preaching on the return of Christ, and he, he, he said, in the words of Christ, said, behold, I come quickly. And he couldn't remember where he's gone next. So he banged on the pulpit and he screamed out, behold, I come quickly. And he still couldn't remember where he's gone. So this time he leaned over the pulpit and he hit it and he said, behold, I come quickly. And he tumbled right in the front row. An old lady was sitting right there. (laughs) And he began to apologize profusely. And the older lady said, it's okay, pastor. You warned me three times. I should have been ready. Christ says, I'm coming back. You're biting in him. You're biting in him. Do you take that as a warning or words of comfort? Or maybe both. See, it depends on your spiritual condition. Well, the one who is returning returns with a purpose. That purpose is to rule. It's to rule. In fact, Daniel 7.14 says this, He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations, peoples of every language who worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. In the song we just sang, it has Ancient of Days there. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. O Ancient of Days. John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has placed some things in his hands. Is that what it says? No. Everything's in his hands. Probably the most familiar verse it has to do with this is Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2 it says, Therefore God highly exalted him at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow, every tongue confess that he, Jesus Christ, is Lord to the glory of God. And you read those words and you recognize God has exalted him as the ruler over everything. He came to rule and he will rule when he comes back. And then we fast forward to Revelation. It says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign, not for a short duration, not for a period of time, but he will reign forever and ever and evermore. The returning king is the ruling king. He rules now. There's an old hymn that says, uh, we sang it as kids growing up, this is my father's world. It is his world. He's given Satan a short leash for the season, for a season. But Christ is king. And when he returns, everything will be submitted to him. Now the struggle is, the struggle is, much like in the first century where many did not submit to his rulership and kingship, many do not do that now. And, and so they reject, they reject the one who came as king to rule. We reject the one who came as king to rule. Ken Geyer has written a book that uh, is well done, and he writes this about the return of Christ. And he says, uh, until we wait to that return, as those loyal to the exiled king, referring to Christ as the exiled king, we are the part of the resistance movement. When the king returns, the enemy will fall. And we will be left standing, cheering the king's return. However ragged, we will line up the war-torn streets, bearing his image, praising his name, bowing as the king passes by. Until that time, we wait. As we wait, we resist. We resist the enemy by fervently loving the Lord Jesus, by fiercely trusting him, by faithfully serving him. As members of the resistant movement, boldly we pray, bravely we fight, for he is the king, the one true king, and he is worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. In the midst of a battle, we're servants to a king. Chuck Swindoll, commenting on Philippians chapter 2, says, God not only exalted Jesus to the highest position of authority, but bestowed upon him this name above all names. And he says, here's the reality. 
The reality of it is the great question facing us today at this moment is whether or not we will voluntarily humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus or wait until we're forced to do so. Will we do it now or will we do it later? If we act now, we will be saved. If we refuse to confess Jesus Christ as Lord while we're on earth, we will surely concede it one day under the earth. But by then it will be too late for that declaration to change our eternal destiny. You see, one day everybody's going to confess. The problem is if you confess on the other side of death, you end up in a Christless eternity. If you confess on this side, Jesus Christ as Lord for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will spend eternity with him. Which will it be? Which will it be? The choice, the choice is yours. The Savior says, I will in no wise cast you out. So you have the opportunity to come to him. So what do we do while we wait for his return? Matthew chapter 25. You've got a bookmarked? Matthew 25, there are two parables. One is a parable on anticipation. The other is a parable on participation. One's a parable on anticipation. It's the parable of the ten virgins. The other is a parable on participation, and that is what do we do till he comes? Until he comes, we're to anticipate his coming by staying ready. Parable of Ten Virgins is quite interesting. You've got to understand a little bit of Jewish history to get its full significance. See, in, the, in, Jewish, in Jewish marriage uh, ceremony, there was a time of betrothal. It's much more binding than an engagement that we would have today. In fact, if you remember, Joseph and Mary were engaged, and he would have to divorce her. So it was actually binding. And so during the time of betrothal, two things happened. The groom had preparation, and the bride had preparation to make. The groom's preparation would be to prepare a place. He would often go back to his father's home, remembrance of Gregorian society, and so he would go to work with the father. He'd go and prepare a room for his bride, for when he would go to get her, he would bring her back. And so he would go to prepare a place for her to come to. Secondly, he would pay the dowry price. He and his father would pay the dowry price. Sometimes it was working. You remember Jacob and Leah? He had to work seven years and then seven more years because he was duped. Sometimes it was through animals. Sometimes it was through money. But the dowry price would be paid by the groom and his father. And so the, there would be preparation for uh, built construction of a, a room for it to come to. There would be the dowry price being paid by the groom himself. And, and he would be ready for his bride to come. And then finally he would come for his bride. Now the bride had preparation to make. She was anticipating what would happen. And in her anticipation of what would happen, she would bathe according to Jewish ceremonial rites to show her purity, and she would also have an oil lamp trim so that whenever the bridegroom came, she could see and they could wander the streets together. So the parable of the ten virgins is based upon the Jewish wedding ceremony. Here's what Jesus says. He says, The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who take their lamps and go out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them prudent. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they had no oil in them. So they didn't have any oil. So they went to the prudent ones, the wise ones, who took oil and flask. They were prepared. And he says, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell asleep. So the bridegroom didn't come right away, and uh, these uh, ladies waiting for their bridegroom to come fell asleep. Then all of a sudden they heard a shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes, come out to meet him. And the virgins rose from their lamps, and the foolish ones turned to the prudent ones and said, Give us some oil for our lamps. But the prudent ones said, No, there won't be enough for us. Go and buy some. Well, you can't buy what they needed. 
While they were gone away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding feast. The door was shut, and they came and knocked on the door. Lord, Lord, open up for us. And he said, Truly I say to you, I don't know who you are. Therefore, be on the alert. You don't know the hour, nor the day I will come. Interesting parallels, isn't it? The bridegroom goes to prepare a room to build a place for his bride to come to. Sound familiar? John chapter 14. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The price has been paid for the bride. We saw Hosea last week. Christ is our redeemer. He's paid the price for our salvation. And then the bridegroom, the bridegroom comes. He returns for his bride. One day, our Savior comes and returns for his bride. The bride is prepared for the coming of the king, the coming of, the, of her groom. Likewise, we are to be prepared for the coming of our groom. Amazing parallels. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready? Do we stay ready? Do we stay ready? There's an interesting verse found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. It uses this betrothal word. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you, that is us, the church, the bride, as a pure virgin. What Paul is saying is we are betrothed to our Savior, and therefore we are to be pure for him. What would you think about a couple who got engaged? And the dude came to his fiancée and said, now that you have a ring on your finger, I'm going to start going out with other women. Any of you ladies get real excited about that when you think about that? You know, now that you're mine, I'm going to keep you, but I'm going to go find some other gals. Or guys, what is the opposite? You put a ring on her finger, you say, well, now i got a ring on my finger. Obviously, people know I'm engaged, so during this time, I might as well go in and Joy whoever. Paul's saying that's not what we do. That's not the way we live. We're betrothed, so we remain pure. We are his, so we follow after him. We, we are pure to him and him only. Reminds me of the story I've used before. There was a large crowd at Seattle Airport waiting for friends and relatives to arrive on an overseas flight. One young guy rolled out a thing or a banner that said, Welcome home, Jill. The first person to appear was a very attractive flight attendant. Attractive flight attendant. She was impressed by the banner. And she she said, Wow, I wish I were Jill. And the crowd began to roar when the guy said, I wish you were Jill too. (laughs) Hey, that's the way some of us live. We are betrothed to him, but we're not pure for him. We're betrothed to him, but we flirt with others. And we chase after other gods. We chase after other things rather than following our Savior. And then he says, stay faithful until he returns. The next parable is a parable of the talents. It's very familiar. We looked at it recently, actually. And in that, Christ uses the illustration of a master who's leaving, calls in three servants. He tells them to invest five talents, three talents, or five talents, two talents, one talent. The guy with five turns into ten. The guy with two into four. The guy with one buries it. And he says, you really don't know me as the master. He lived in the master's house but didn't know the master. He, He saw the master at work but didn't know his heart. In fact, what he says about the master is this. He said, I was afraid of you in verse 26 or in verse 25. He says, I knew you were a hard man. And the master says, you wicked, lazy slave, I cast you out. And really what that parable is asking, what are you doing while the master's away? 
Well, the master's away. What are you doing with the gifts and talents he's given you? How are you doing serving the master? What about your generosity towards the master with the money he's given you? What, what about that gift of mercy? What about that you've been equipped as a shepherd or you're discipling other people? What, what about that gift of teaching? What about the, the, uh, the gifts of service and helps? Or are you sitting on your hands? Have you retired? Or you say, this is just a busy time of life. Or while the master's away, are you faithfully serving him till he returns? See, here's what I think we get from Daniel and our hero. He's coming back to reign. One day he's coming back to reign. And when he comes back, we need to be ready. When he comes back, we need to be prepared. Now, here's what I don't want you to walk out of this room doing. I don't want you to walk out saying, man, I need to go do something. No, what I want you to do is fall in love with the Savior and then respond. See, if all you walk out and say, I've got to do it because Gary said we've got to do it and he's coming back and I've been warned, that's not what I'm asking you to do at all. I'm asking for internal transformation that leads, that leads to a life of service. Internal transformation, that's called grace. And through that grace, you use what you have to serve the master. There's a story when Cyrus was king of Persia. I think it's fictional, but it's still a good story. He captured a young prince of another land. It says when they were brought, when the family was brought before Cyrus, he asked the prisoner in front of his whole family, what would you give me if I release you? And the prince said, I would give you half of my wealth. And he said, if I release your children, he said, I will give you everything I possess. And if I release your wife, and the prince responded, your majesty, I give my very life for her. Cyrus is so impressed by the young prince He released the entire family and told him to return home. On the way home, the prince turned to his wife and said, Wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? With a look of affection for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice Cyrus. I could only keep my eyes on the one who was willing to give his life for me. I really don't think historically you could have recorded that. But here's the reality. It's true. The truth of it is, when somebody gives their life for you, How could you not fix your eyes upon them and want to follow them and serve them forever? He gave his life for you. He was rejected. Man of sorrows. But one day he comes back to rule in righteousness. Do you know him as Savior? Do you serve him as King? Do you? Father, thank you for our Savior. Thank you that one day he comes back until then. We desire to be faithful. If you don't know if Christ is your Savior, I invite you right now to make sure of that. If you know He's your Savior, and you know that one day He's coming back, and you live in fear of that because you're not abiding in Him, I pray this morning be a morning of renewal, recommitment, rededication, of falling deeper in love with the Savior so that you'll serve Him out of that love. Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.